Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Thank you, Joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. This revelation of who you are and what you're about that tells us as well who we are in you. I pray in these moments as we reflect on the truth of your word spoken to us here from Revelation 21, that you would make Jesus glorious in our mind, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see your grace. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I heard a story a few years ago, and it's a humorous story. You can kind of... Uh, this isn't a serious story necessarily. But it was about a man <clears throat> who off of his back deck had a broken step at the bottom of his steps down into his backyard. Broken step at the bottom. who really needs to be fixed. His family kept tripping over it. Every time they had somebody over, they'd go out the back door and they either had to tell them about it or they'd trip over it and just about fall into the backyard. But the man wouldn't fix it. He wouldn't fix the back step. Why? Because he was convinced that Jesus was going to return very soon and he would go to heaven. So why bother putting the effort, the time, money, and energy into fixing this back step? So he and his family and everyone who else who came over kept tripping over this step that could have been fixed, that could have been addressed. But they just kept tripping over the step and following. It didn't really bother him so he didn't see the, the point in fixing it. Now, that's a bit of a silly story, but it points to, I think, a common critique that Christianity gets. The idea that we believe that either Jesus is coming back very soon and he's going to fix everything so we don't bother with issues or broken steps in our world in the here and now. Or the idea that one day we're going to fly away from this world and leave it behind. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. So that's usually, and, and, and us flying away to heaven is usually pictured as what? Us kind of getting wings, becoming angels, sitting on the clouds with a harp, playing songs, which actually that sounds pretty good. Um, so we don't address issues that we think are temporary. We don't address broken steps. And I've seen this in a wide range of things. I've seen this with issues. Um, uh, evangelical Christians especially can't get motivated unless it's an issue that seems to affect us directly. Um, that's, you know, I'm painting with a broad brush here, so um, apologies if so. But I've seen it in issues of justice. Things are going wrong in a community that can be addressed. That can be addressed, but it's kind of like the broken step. It doesn't impact me directly, so it's fine. I'm just going to focus on the reality that Jesus will fix all things one day. And that's good. Or issues of uh, climate change. And I'm not getting political here, but people uh, want to buy the biggest gas guzzler they possibly can. And I've heard people tell me this, that they do it because this world's going to burn anyway. So might as well just 
you know, get 14 miles to the gallon or whatever <laughs> and use the biggest gaskets. Honestly, this critique of Christianity, that Christians can be so heavenly minded they're of no earthly good, maybe you've heard that phrase before, it's not far off. That Christians sometimes can be counted on to be passive, that's a real one. And I know that because I've expressed that sentiment myself. I've said things. Like, I'm not going to get involved with that. Eternity is going to be so great, so why bother with this thing now? Why bother trying to address this broken step now? It's probably going to break again later. Right? Don't fix the backstep. Don't talk about justice. Don't talk about inequities in life. Don't talk about things like racism, sexism, because it's just a distraction from focusing on what really matters. Now, don't hear me saying I'm a social justice warrior, woke, anything like that. But when real issues, when broken steps are there in front of us, Christians can sometimes be counted on to turn the other way. But guys, we're talking this morning about the good news of the gospel for the world. This idea that God is at work to make all things new. That we live in hope of this reality, which we'll fully see when Jesus returns. And this gospel of a new world, it is not the man with the broken step, or at least that's not what it's supposed to lead us to. To be people who close our eyes off to the reality of what other people face. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning as we look a little bit more at Revelation chapter 21, which Joy just read for us a moment ago. So that's my first section, the book of Revelation. I'm going to give a little bit of background. It'll help us understand what this passage is doing. Revelation is the very last book of Scripture written. It's the last one, if you flip through your Bibles, it's the last one before the maps and the, gloss, you know, the glossary of terms and stuff at the back. But it was the last book of Scripture written. It was written around 90 A.D., so the year 90 A.D., and this was approximately 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And in those 60 years, the church has gone from this ragtag bunch of 120 people that could fit in one room to a worldwide movement. That by, by 90 AD, by 60 years later, Christian, uh, churches could be found in Africa, in Asia, in Europe, and of course in the Middle East where Christianity began. And Revelation, the book, was actually written by the Apostle John, who we meet in the Gospels. When, when the Apostle John started following Jesus, he was very young. He was probably a teenager, actually. And he and his brother, James, got swept up into the ministry of Jesus, began following after him, and actually became very close friends, intimate friends with Jesus. But in the book of Revelation, John, who started following Jesus when he's a teenager, he's an old man. He's 90 AD. He's an old man. He's the last living apostle. He's watched all the friends that he followed Jesus with either be arrested or executed or tortured by the Roman government, and he's the last living apostle. And in fact, he's been arrested by the Roman government, and he's been exiled to this small island, this very, very small island in the Mediterranean Sea called Patmos. He's separated from everyone and he's kept alone. So imagine that. Elderly man has been arrested. He's been removed from the community that he loves, that he's invested his whole life in, the, the, the people that he's baptized and pastored, and now he's all alone on this, on this uh, island. And there, he sees a vision of the victorious Jesus, who has a message for all the churches who might feel discouraged because John is gone. 
All the apostles are dead, and it looks like nothing but chaos in the world around them. And the vision that he receives assures them Jesus is at work, even in the midst of persecution and opposition, to bring his grace to life in this world. And Jesus shows this to John through a, a series of images and pictures. And if you've ever read through the book of Revelation, it's strange images and pictures. And the last image, the last picture that John sees in Revelation 21 is what Joy read for us a minute ago. Of everything, everything being made new. Everything. He sees a new heaven. And a new earth, he sees a city coming down from heaven, decked out for celebration like a bride on her wedding day. He sees God coming to dwell with his people forever and God wiping the tear from every eye. What a picture. What a picture. And in some ways, the new heavens and new earth that John sees there in Revelation 21, it looks a lot different than the world he knows. There's no sea. That's a, that's a, now I love the beach. It says there's no sea. What's going on there? Well, one of the reasons there's no sea is that in ancient times and even today, the sea is a scary and dangerous place. In the ancient world, the, the, in the false religions that surrounded Israel, the sea was always like the, the bad god that was out to get everybody else. But the sea was always seen as this chaotic, dangerous thing. The sea of all things on this earth is something that human beings cannot harness, cannot control. So John sees a world that's been made new and there's no sea. But I don't think that's the only reason why he points that out. I think the reason why John uh, sees that there's no sea and that captures his imagination and he brings it up is because he's on exile on an island in the middle of the sea. He's surrounded by water on every side. He's separated from everyone he loves and he cannot get to them. He sees this vision of the new heavens and new earth and he writes down that there's no sea. Because the barrier that stands between him and the people he loves is gone. That sea he cannot cross to get to those he loves is removed. There's no distance to hold him back. I think that's why he points it out. So there's some ways that this new heaven and new earth looks very different, obviously. There's no sea. But in most of the ways that John sees this new heaven and new earth, it is very much like the one that he has lived in and has known but it's healed. It's made new. It's made complete. It's the world the way God created it to be. And so what John sees is the people he loved, not wrapped with the scars of life. He sees them healed. He sees the places that he loves healed from the way that sins more. He sees healing from pain and sickness and death where not just the power of sin is overcome, but it's, it's very presence and the effects of sin are banished. John sees a new world, a new heavens and new earth, where God has made his dwelling place with people in a way that permeates every molecule of creation. So that's the background of the book of Revelation. Let's talk a little bit more about the new heavens and new earth. Because all of this seems like a big claim, right? All of this seems like a big claim. How is this not just another completely unrealistic, ridiculous thing to believe? How can we be so sure that all things will be made new? Well, we can be sure of the promise of a new world because of who is making the promise. 
It wasn't the Apostle John just sitting there having hopes and dreams about what the future will look like. He's receiving this promise from someone who is trustworthy and able to make it. He receives this promise from God. And we can be sure of this promise from God because of what he has already done in the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is just the beginning of God's work in defeating the power of sin. I mentioned earlier that the Apostle John, when he receives the vision in the book of Revelation, is an old man. And as he sees this scene of a new heavens and new earth, he is watching the end, the completion of something that he saw the beginning of. Here's what I mean. The Apostle John, as a young man, had watched the body of Jesus executed, killed at his crucifixion. In fact, John was the only male disciple of Jesus that did not entirely abandon him when he was arrested. When we see John at the foot of the cross watching the crucifixion happen, he's mixed in with the women followers of Jesus who did not abandon Jesus. Who apparently were not seen as much of a threat from the authorities. They were allowed to be there. And John's mixed in with them. He must have been young enough where they just figured this is a kid. We don't have to worry about him. And as an aside, by the way, it's foolishness to underestimate women and a young man. There's women who became the first uh, announcers and first seers of the resurrection of Jesus. This young man who was not a threat there, who later went on to plant churches, to care for people, to write scripture. They underestimated what God would do through them, but God did not underestimate what he would do. That's inside. But John had watched the body of Jesus die. He was there. John had had the experience that a lot of young idealistic people do. He'd watched his dreams and desires wither away right in front of his eyes. But then something happened. Three days later that exploded all his expectations, that turned his world upside down, he saw the Jesus that he watched die appear to him. He touched his body, and he saw that the Jesus he had watched die had been raised in victory. This body that he had seen die was now alive and resurrected, still bearing the scars of his crucifixion as a trophy of his victory. But he saw this body that he watched die bursting with life. He had seen Jesus resurrected. I bring all this up because what John had seen after the resurrection, the dead body of Jesus raised in power and renewed beyond the ability of the Roman Empire to visit violence upon it, renewed beyond the power of sin, is what he sees the end of here in Revelation 21. That was the beginning. What he sees here is our world renewed beyond the power of sin tomorrow. The resurrection of Jesus was the beginning of the new creation of God. A new creation that we find ourselves swept into when God renews us inwardly. A new creation whose end will not be reached until we see our very bodies renewed beyond all injury. Or disease, a new creation whose reach will not end until God has renewed all things. That's the good news of the new world. That the destruction of sin, that is injustice, that the darkness and wrong of our world will not continue unaddressed forever. It has a stop there. That means, friends, that there is a day when Dunn, North Carolina will not be ravaged by drug abuse. There will be a day. When broken homes and the long-term effects of 
racism, misogyny, white supremacy, whatever, will not mark this place. There will be a day when there is no fear of domestic abuse, where kids won't go to sleep hungry, where women will not cover up black eyes with makeup. There will be a day when the way that sin and selfishness wars within you will be over, and your struggle with sin will be over, and every part of who you are will be renewed in glory. The tears you wept, wiped away by God's own hand. The diseases you've struggled through, healed. The pain that you carry on your shoulders taken away. No disease, no illness, none of the things we struggle with now. Only the love of God and the joy of flourishing in that. I want to stop and think on that for a minute. Friends, sometimes I'm exhausted. And I know you are too. I'm tired of wrestling with my selfishness. I'm tired of the days that God feels distant. I'm tired of turning on the news and seeing about another school shooting and checking my phone notifications to see another war has started. I'm tired about calls that somebody else has cancer and someone else has passed away. It's the honor of my life to be a pastor and to walk alongside people in their distress and sorrow, but seeing people I love suffer, experiencing suffering myself, I'm tired of it. I know you are too. I want to see everything made new. I want to see you made new. I want to see me made new. I want to see this city made new. All God's children gathered together, safe. Well, that's the good news of Revelation 21. That that longing is exactly what God is doing. He's making all things new. So let's return to the question that I asked at the beginning. How is this promise of a world made new something that impacts our here and now? Is it just a belief about the future that kind of serves as a pacifier to keep us contented right now and to get us through? I say no. I say no because Jesus isn't just at work in the future to make all things new. He's at work now. I mentioned it already, but Scripture speaks of us being awakened to spiritual life by the Holy Spirit. And we are renewed inwardly now, even as our bodies waste away. We continue to dwell in a world that is marred by sin, but we have a very present hope and a very present love. And there are more people in this community that have yet to hear and experience that incredible love of God. And God's going to work through us to see that come to life. But in a sense, I see this good news of a new hope is like our future stretching back and reaching into our present. The good news of a new hope, of a new world to come, allows us to reorient our lives to what truly matters. Because we have assurances of what God is up to. We need not fear the roller coaster of life. Those dips are going to go lower than you expect. And sometimes the, it's going to rise even higher than you expect. But you need not fear. You're strapped in. The roller coaster has an ending point, and it ends in new heavens and new earth. We need not fear and wear the verdicts that other people pass on us or that our own hearts condemn us with because we don't have the final say and nobody else does either. God does. 
And we live under the verdict of Jesus. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We need not fear putting what God has placed in our hands at use of serving other people. That there won't be enough in the future if we're generous today. We don't have to gather up every morsel of every dollar and cent to a 401k. And I'm not speaking against 401ks. They're good things. Pensions are good things. All of that's good things. But we need not fear tomorrow as if God's going to drop the ball. We need not fear naming injustices and wrongs when we see them in our community because we know that injustices cannot last. We can know that because of what happens after John received this vision in the book of Revelation. Because I actually think we have an example of somebody who did not allow this vision of a world made new to push them into inactivity. John, as an old, old, old man, body actually ravaged from uh, being tortured. He was eventually freed from exile. He was, he was allowed to return back to Ephesus, which was his home city, his home base. In the last years of his life, he was incredibly frail. He was physically unable to walk. He was only able to do so much, even just speak a little bit, before being overwhelmed with exhaustion. So every week, the young men in his church would come to his house and pick him up and carry him to church. They'd literally carry him to worship. And during the worship service, he'd be asked to say something to address the church, usually right before they celebrated the Lord's Supper. And he'd always say the same thing in a voice he could barely get out past a whisper, little children love one another. Every week, little children love one another. Even in his extreme old age and his disability, his inability to so much as put a foot in front of the other and walk to church. He did not retire away to simply sit and wait for heaven to come. No, in his old age, with only strength to speak a few words, he used those words to call forth love in this community that he loved. The vision that he had seen here in Revelation 21 did not leave him in passivity. Even in his disability in old age. When all he had left were words, he used those words for the glory of God and the good of others. Or consider one of my favorite examples from the early church, a woman, I've, I've spoken about her before, Hermione of Ephesus. Not Hermione Granger, Hermione of Ephesus. Hermione who lived in the late first century A.D. We actually know her dad, and he was Philip the deacon who became Philip the evangelist in the book of Acts. And Hermione and her sisters, they were all unmarried, and they, or she had three other sisters that were unmarried, and they were powerful teachers of God's Word. They're called prophets, actually, in Acts. Well, late in the first century, her dad had died, and she decided what she was going to do is sell off everything she had and actually travel to Ephesus because there was one living apostle, the Apostle John, and she was going to spend the rest of her life, whatever years she had left, ministering under John. Helping him out in his ministry. So she traveled to Ephesus, but when she got there, she discovered that John had died. John was dead. And so here she was in a new city. She had sold everything she had in her old city. And all her plans completely disrupted. What did she do? 
She knew that most of her life was behind her. She knew she was closer to death than not, and I'm sure she longed for the return of Jesus to make all things new. She was elderly with her last good plan, now an impossibility. It wasn't a broken step into the backyard of the, the man at the beginning. This was a broken future. It was a plan unfurled. And I'm sure she longed to see heaven and the new heavens and new earth. But she did not retire into inactivity. In fact, what she did, she took the resources she had and opened one of the first hospitals in history that opened its doors to the poor and homeless. There in Ephesus. She treated those that other physicians wouldn't go near. And she did it for free. She operated her hospital entirely on the support of donors. She wasn't the man at the beginning of the sermon who wouldn't fix the bottom step. No, her profound hope for a future where all things were being made new propelled her into spending the last years of her life pouring into other people. She wasn't so, quote, heavenly minded that she was of no earthly good. She saw her time here as a gift to be used, and the resources in her hand as a trust given over to her that she might glorify God and love other people. Guys, Jesus will return and make all things new. He's promised, he's said. But we have no idea when it will happen. I long to see it happen. I hope it happens this afternoon. <laughs> that would be great. It would be wonderful. But it might not happen for 10,000 years. We don't know. Now, there's a whole industry of books and preachers that are going to tell you that every time something happens in the Middle East, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. Um, and Christians have spent so, so much time trying to identify the Antichrist. In my lifetime, I've heard Saddam Hussein, Ronald Reagan, uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton. I've heard Barack Obama and Donald Trump are all the Antichrist. That is a waste of time. It's an absolute waste of time. Jesus is not inviting us to try to do some weird calculus and figure out the exact date of when he's going to return. It's not why he's given us time here. Our invitation from Jesus is for us to walk right now, abounding in hope in our lives here, join together with each other in this world that is full of broken back steps, but not to ignore them just because they don't impact us or don't bother us. He's placed us in the communities that he has, in the neighborhoods that we have, to be people who abound with hope, who point to our Savior who is going to make all things new. And by being a people that together pursue love, pursue newness, pursue healing for the good of others. It's going to look different to us individually. I'm not telling you to go start a hospital. Maybe you have the resources and the ability to do that. That wouldn't be a bad thing. But it's going to look different depending on how God has equipped us, what resources he puts at our disposal. But we are not called to passivity. This good news of a new world, we point to. And people learn about the God who's making all things new when, he see, when they see us pursuing flourishing and newness. So let's do that together. Let's be rooted in this hope of a new world. And treasuring that, let's be turned toward others and toward each other in love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the good news of the new world, that you will make all things new. What a great hope to center ourselves on as we look at so many broken things in our world. 
as we continue to live here, Lord, center us on you and what you're doing. May we pronounce your gospel and invite people to come in to see the Lord Jesus Christ, who in his life, death, and resurrection has overcome every barrier and every obstacle from us receiving what you have for us. Lord, may we proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ and live lives that are uh, spring from the promise of the gospel. And as we await you making all things new, let's point to you in our words and our actions. Let's testify to you, the God who brings life to dead places. Help us as we go, Lord, empower us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.